Living for God in a pagan world. Tonight I want to talk a little bit from God's Word. I want to share my heart a little bit. It's more of a, uh, uh, more of a pastorly talk than it is a, a polished sermon. Uh, but that's alright every now and then. And so opportunity to share my heart with our church tonight. Let me ask you church, have you ever been in a situation where you feel, felt you didn't really fit in? Yeah, you ever been in a situation where you felt you really didn't fit in? I mean, from a physical standpoint, if you've ever been to another country or been in a situation where you found yourself an extreme minority, you know a little bit about what that is. I've taken several trips to uh, a country in, in Latin America, Central America, and I'm going to tell you, I didn't fit in. Just from a genetic standpoint, I am tall, they are not. I'm pretty pasty, they are not. And as one of them put it, my conversational Spanish is bad. I said, no, it's just little, right? They said, no, it's bad. I said, okay. But you know, that's the spiritual reality that we live as well. The reality is the Bible describes believers as strangers and pilgrims in this world. If it feels like we don't belong, it's because we don't. Philippians 3 is very clear that our citizenship is in heaven. Bible there, Philippians 3 and verse number 20, for our conversation, that word literally means our, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 and verse number 11, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. If it feels like you don't belong, Christian, it's because you don't. So I want us to think tonight, how do we then live as strangers and pilgrims in this world? How do we live for God in a pagan world? Now, in Daniel, I think we find a great example of someone who did this well. Daniel lived for God in a very pagan place. Daniel lived for God in a, in a very difficult situation. As a young man, he was ripped from his homeland. Uh, as a young man, uh, he was thrust into uh, uh, difficulty there in the king's court. And yet Daniel made a difference for God even in a very pagan place. And so tonight I want us to look at Daniel here uh, from these verses and learn a couple of lessons that I think can be a help and blessing for us as we choose to live for God in this pagan world. Look with me, uh, beginning in verse number 1, and we'll go down through verse number 7 to get us started. The Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. He attacked it militarily, surrounded it, attacked it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them, speaking of those children, including Daniel, 
appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. So church, the first thing I kind of want us to, to see tonight and wrap our heads around, if we're going to live for God in a pagan world, is we have to understand that there is a heathen system that exists around us. There is a heathen system that exists around us. There was no doubt for Daniel. Daniel knew that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians hated the God of Israel. They mocked God's name. They mocked God's people. They defiled God's things. You see how they took verses 2 and uh, verses 3, how they, how they brought the, 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 the vessels that were meant for temple worship and how they brought them and they put them in the temple and the treasury of their own gods. They did not care that it was set apart as, as holy before the Lord. They brought of the children of the nation of Israel, of the land of Judah, They defiled God's thing. They sought to defile God's people. They gave unto these children the meat and wine of the Chaldeans and sought to give them the learning of the Chaldeans as well. There was no question for Daniel as to what side the world around him stood on. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians hated the God of Israel. You know, church, I think it's important for us to recognize as well that if we're going to live for God in a pagan world, we have to stop and comprehend that it is a pagan world in which we live. We must recognize the truth of this world system. It is pagan and wholly set against God. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, we see this, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world, for if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Jesus in John 16 and 17 over and over again talked about how the world hated him. And the world would hate those who followed him. The world we live in today mocks the idea of a creator. In place of a creator, they've, they, they've, in, they've placed the, the theory of evolution and random chance that over millions and billions of years, we, we crawled up out of the primordial slime and then we grew legs and eyeballs and eventually shed our wings and we swung from our tails and, and eventually we turned into Barry Halstead. I've said it before, and I think it's good. I'm not saying all my ancestors were saints. Some of them may have swung from their necks, but none of them ever swung from a tail. But in place of creator, oh, they've put the system of evolution. Because if they're not created by a God, then, then they don't need to give an account to God either. And so they mock the idea of a creator. They mock the idea of a divine lawgiver uh, who says this is right and this is wrong. They mock the idea of divine accountability and judgment. 
One of the things that you'll, you'll see online these days from time to time is they'll, they'll mock our God by calling him our, our great sky daddy. And they mock him with no regard whatsoever. They preach evolution. This is the world. They preach evolution and humanism and they practice the relativism that results. Christian, this world is not your friend. This world is not your friend. Christian young person, this world is not your friend. You cannot be friends with the world and friends with God. James puts it this way, James 4 and verse number 4. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Doesn't mean that God hates us. It means that what we have actively done is walked across the battle lines and set ourselves against God. You cannot lock arms with the world and not set yourself against God. Christian, this world is not your friend. Oh, they will offer you pleasure. They offered these boys pleasure. Come eat the meat of the king. Drink the wine of the king. Come indulge in the learning of the Chaldeans. They'll offer you pleasure. They may offer you prestige and power. They may offer you protection. But this world is not your friend. In fact, this world and the system of this world is seeking to fulfill the heart of our adversary and steal, kill, and destroy all that God has for you. Something I don't know if you've ever taken note, but they changed these boys' names. And that's not without significance. The name Daniel means God is my judge. They changed Daniel to the name Belteshazzar. They literally named him after the Babylonian god Bel. Hananiah, his name means God is gracious. They changed Hananiah's name to Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun god. Mishael, his name means who is like unto God. And Mishael, they changed his name to Meshach, which means who is like unto Venus. Azariah means the Lord is my helper. They changed his name to Abednego, which literally means servant of Nebo, which was one of their Babylonian gods. And so what did they do? They sought to rob these boys of their very identity, of who they were as the people of God. Hear me, Christian, this world is not your friend. This world is is not here to help you to grow to be like Christ. This world and the system of this world is here to rob you of all the blessings God has for you. He is here to rob you of your identity, of your influence. It is here to rob you blind. This world is not your friend. I think sometimes... We struggle here for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's easy for us to get complacent. We, we grow accustomed 
to the crazy around us, to the wickedness around us. It doesn't bother us like it used to. We don't blush like we used to. We don't recoil like we used to. And so because it doesn't bother us like we used to, we're not as tuned in like we should be. I'll tell you another reason why maybe we struggle with this sometimes is because, well, we know people who are in the world, and, and, and well, you know, we, I, I just, I, they're not bad people. I mean, they're good people. I'm not saying they're a mass murderer, but if they are living the system of this world, they are living their lives diametrically opposed to how we are called to live. And can two walk together except they be agreed? You see, we are surrounded by a heathen system. If you doubt that, let me ask you. Go home, turn on the TV. How long does it take before they blaspheme? How long does it take before they defame the holy things of God? If you doubt this, get in your car on the way home tonight and turn on the radio. Not, don't put it on clean air, put it on something else. And tell me, how long does it take before they blaspheme? Before they, before they roll around in the most depraved thoughts and imagery imaginable? Tell me how long it takes and then tell me if they're your friend. Oh, but they know how to make you feel good in the moment. But that doesn't make them your friend. Christian, we're surrounded by a heathen system. We, we live in a pagan world. And we will not be able to live for God like we need to be until we realize this truth. Let me ask you this. Why are we so quick to adopt the things of this world and question the things of God? Well, I don't really know if that's necessary. And, you know, that's standard over there. I just, you know, I feel like, I feel like we could move that fence two feet this way and we'd, we'd probably still be okay. And, well, I just don't know about this. And I just don't. And we question everything that has to do with God and holiness and righteousness. And yet how quick we are to adopt the things of the world and not give it a second thought. How quick we are to turn on the radio, to turn on Apple Music, to turn on, listen to that podcast, how, how quick we are to just watch that new Disney movie. How quick we are to either download or allow our kids to download the newest social media craze. Here's the thing, your kids or grandkids got TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram or any of that on their phone, they are being inundated every single day with Filth like you can't imagine. Being pushed that, that this uh, sexual ambiguity and transgender and all that other nonsense, it, that, that's the push. That it's normal. And it's being normalized right under Christian parents' nose. Well, everybody's doing it. And, you know, if they don't, what are they going to be missing out on? You know, I saw a study the other day that since... Smartphones became mainstream. Clinical depression among teenagers, especially teenage girls, has tripled. Now, correlation doesn't equal, always equal causality. But I think there's something to it. And, and because 
we don't want to have our kids miss out or we don't want to fight those battles or, you know, we dabble with it ourselves and so we feel guilty about it. The world is not your friend. They're not your friend. While we're on the topic of kids, you know, I mentioned the whole, you know, jump on, watch the newest Disney movie. You know, <laughs> listen to an interview every now and then. Listen to them talk about their quote. This is what they said. They're not so secret gay agenda. That they're pushing in everything. And yet we pay that subscription every month. I don't want to miss out. I mean, there's going to be a new superhero movie at some point. And we become accustomed. We begin to think, well, you know, it's not great, but it's not that bad. And You know, we're awful quick to adopt the things of this world when really we probably ought to look at everything that comes out of this world with severe skepticism and distrust. Why? Because this world and the system of this world is not our friend. We are surrounded by a heathen system. And again... Christians, we need to be in the world, but we need to keep the world out of us. And that's an important distinction. So if we're going to live for God in a pagan world, we're going to have to acknowledge the heathen system that exists. We're going to have to live like it's a threat. We're going to have to teach our kids that it exists and teach our kids to guard their own personal holiness and sanctification. Because if you don't think they're coming for your kids, then you, you have buried your head so far in the sand, I don't know what else to tell you at this point. They are coming for our kids. We have to see the heathen system around us. So how do we engage that heathen system? Look with me at verse number 8. The Bible simply says here, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. How is it that we address the heathen system around us? How do we live for God in a pagan world? Well, it requires that we adopt a heavenly standard. It requires that we adopt a heavenly standard. You see, Daniel knew that the Old Testament law forbade him from partaking in the meat and the wine of the king. And David here, the Bible says, he purposed in his heart, very simply, that he determined in his heart that he was going to do right, no matter the cost. But it wasn't fair, the position Daniel got put in. That didn't matter. Daniel was going to do right, no matter the cost. But Daniel was really all by himself. Where were, where were the adults? He had been put in a very difficult situation. I mean, he was literally putting his head on the line. But that didn't matter. Because Daniel had determined that he was going to do right no matter the cost. Daniel recognized that there was a heavenly standard already in place. And he would not be pressured into breaking God's law for the world around him. 
Church, if we're going to live for God in a pagan world, it's going to require that we live a heavenly standard. Church, if we're going to live God's will, this is not earth-shattering. If we're going to live God's will, it makes sense that we have to know God's word. And by the way, God's word is still clear. It's still true. It's still relevant, powerful, and practical today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we're reminded that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine teaches us what is right. We need to know what's right, don't we? For reproof, that's what's wrong. We need the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots. For correction, that's for us to be able to get right when we stumble and fall. For instruction in righteousness, that's for us to stay right. Verse 17, to the man of God may be perfect, mature, complete, truly furnished unto all good works. You know what? We live in some pretty nasty darkness. I mean, the darkness is just oppressive these days. I mean, the darkness has always been there, but it's oppressive these days in ways that we haven't necessarily felt in a while as believers. And here's the trouble. Sometimes we get so focused on the darkness. If you get focused on the darkness, guess what you're going to do? You're going to get discouraged. You're going to stumble. You're going to get depressed. Darkness does that to you. But you see, I don't have to focus on the darkness. Why? Psalm 119.105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why am I worried about the darkness when I've got light? Why am I worried? I've walked through here in the dark so many times. Guess what I have learned? You wouldn't make a very good blind person trying to figure it out from memory. That's what I've learned. And so what do I do? I turn a light on. And since I have learned to turn a light on or turn the flashlight on on my phone, guess how many times I've run into a pew? Zero. Why? Because I don't need to be all worried about the darkness when I got a light. In church, if you and I are going to live for God in this pagan world, Boy, I'm going to tell you, we're going to have to hold fast to the light that he's given us. Hold fast to the light that he has given us. 2 Timothy 1 and verse number 13, the Bible says this, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. We know 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, we preached it earlier this year, but if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Hold fast to what God has given Now here's the thing, chances are we're in a day and age when it's going to cost you something. You know, in decades gone by, you can say, thus saith the Lord, and not everybody would agree, but everybody recognized that that was was a standard that that we, we really couldn't outright reject in polite society. I'm going to tell you, you stand up today and you say, thus saith the Lord, and and there's going to be a price to pay. But the Bible's still clear. 
the Bible's still clear that the only marriage that exists is the marriage between a man and a woman. I say it. I say it in love, but I say it. There is no such thing as gay marriage. And yet this afternoon, I read an article about a police officer in Georgia, I believe, who had to resign his position because he posted something of that sort on Facebook. And somebody reported it as offensive. But the only marriage that exists is marriage between a, I'll even put it, a, a natural-born man. Isn't that so silly? Isn't that the silliest thing? And a natural-born woman. The Bible still says, and God created them male and female, created he them. Period. Your biology is your gender. Period. The Bible still talks of the sanctity of human life. But I'm telling you, we live in a world where if you stand for biblical truth, you will have to pay a price. You will lose friends. You could lose a job. You could lose opportunity. I'm going to tell you, I watch our, our, our friends to the north closely up in O Canada. I watch them closely because that's the direction we're headed. And you're, you have people for what I just said is, is considered hate speech in Canada. And you have people going through the court systems in Canada for what I just said. And so it might not just be a loss of a friend or a loss of a job or a loss of opportunity. It might be one day that it's loss of freedom. But we hold fast to the light that we have been given. If we don't shine the light, who will? It's not a political party's job to shine the light of truth. It is the church of the living God's job to shine the light of truth. And so we hold fast. We hold fast. We hold fast. We still believe that men and women, they are equal in value, but they are created different. They are not the same. And each have been given unique and beautiful roles by Creator God. We still believe that God calls husbands and fathers to lead their households. We still believe that God calls men to pastor and lead churches. Hold fast to the light that he's given. Hold fast. We still believe in training up a child in the way they should go. We still believe he that spareth the rod hateth the child. We still believe, not popular. Mocked widely. But if we don't shine the light, who will? Who will? We still believe the body of Christ, the house of God, is more important than the ball team. 
is more important than the overtime shift, is more important than the you fill in the blank. We still believe the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Church matters. If we don't hold to the light, who will? Who will? Hold fast to what he's given. And might I say this before I move on from considering the heavenly standard that we have to hold to. That there is never a good reason to compromise. There is never a good reason to compromise. There is no doubt in my mind that had Daniel been told no. We'll see. He makes a request here. In verse, in verse 8, he talks about he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. There is no doubt in my mind that if Daniel had been told no, we can make no exceptions. There's no doubt in my mind that if Daniel had been told no, he just would not have eaten. Because there is never a good reason to compromise. And I've heard Christians say it. Well, we, we have to eat, do we? I'm going to tell you, if we're not willing to hold to a heavenly standard, we're never going to truly make a difference in this world for Christ. We see a heathen system all around us, but we see a heavenly standard that guides us. I want to give one more thought. Verse 8, and we'll read down through verse 12. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then Daniel, uh, then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. So how do we live for God in a pagan world? Number one, we have to recognize the heathen system that's around us. Number two, we have to recognize the heavenly standard that we've been given. But number three, and I think this is just important for us to see as well. With this heavenly standard, we still need to maintain a humble stance. We still need to maintain a humble stance. As I look at Daniel here, Daniel wasn't obnoxious. Daniel wasn't abrasive. He requested. He reasoned. He listened. I mean, the, the, the prince of the eunuchs here expressed some doubts and concerns and fears to Daniel. Daniel didn't mock him. Daniel didn't mock others. We don't see Daniel wagging the finger at everybody else. Oh, you bunch of, you bunch of weak spine sissies. And we, we don't see any of that from Daniel. We see this man take a resolute but humble stance. He simply set himself to do right no matter the cost and no matter who chose to come with him. You see, sometimes I feel that our natural human inclination is when the pressure is on. You know, you got that fight or flight mechanism. 
So you got, you got those who just kind of, their spine like snaps in half. They bend so quickly. And you've got others, you know, who rise up and say, bring it on. Man can't make me do that. Bring it on. I'll show you what's coming. You don't want none of this. And so that's your fight or flight mechanism. And so it is a fleshly response. It is a natural human response when pressure is exerted. But it's not really a spirit-filled response. I'll go so far as to say this. There's no jerk for Jesus crown in heaven. I said it this morning. You can be right in position. And you can be petty and ugly in your disposition. And a right position doesn't justify having a wrong disposition. There's no crown for the jerks for Jesus club. We're not on a political crusade where we take no prisoners and we want to destroy anyone who stands in our way. This is not a political crusade. Though, by the way, our lives will touch the political arena. Because as Christians, we are called to take the light of Christ everywhere. And so that means if I, a Christian, walk into a ballot box, guess what I take with me? The light of Christ. Into the ballot box. It's not a political crusade, but a personal conviction. And we stand, we stand resolutely, but we stand humbly. Uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, when threatened to be burned at the stake, history tells us Luther was again given an opportunity to save himself. He had, he had challenged the Catholic Church in and, and, and preaching and teaching salvation by, by faith alone. The Catholic Church said, we've already kicked you out of the church. If you're not careful, we're going to burn you at the stake. All you have to do is recant. Take it all back, Martin Luther, and all will be forgiven. When Martin Luther rose up amongst all of those officials, and he said this, he said, My conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant. Because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. What a beautiful example of a humble yet resolute stance. When pressured to break. You know the beautiful thing about humbling ourselves. Is that when we humble ourselves we allow God to move on our behalf. He giveth grace to the humble. First Peter 5 and verse number 6, we see this thought. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, when we humble ourselves and we, we place ourselves in position for God to work on our behalf, sometimes I think we forget that strength and humility are not mutually exclusive traits. That meekness, strength under control, is an important fruit of the Spirit. I think one of the most beautiful examples of, of meekness that maybe we could talk about would be, would be that of a, of a horse that is broken. You know, you think, of, you think of a horse and how strong those animals are. A horse at any time could buck most any rider off and then stamp its little head with its hoof. Puny little human doesn't really stand a chance against a strong horse. 
Yet a horse that is broken is a horse that though it possesses the strength to throw off its rider and do its own thing, submits itself to the direction of its rider. You see, this is meekness. It is strength under control. It's not that I don't have it in me to rise up and say, bring it on. But it's that I submit to the Spirit of God who lives within me. And I submit all that I am to His leading in my life. We see a humble stance. And church, I think it does us well to check our disposition often. I think we pride ourselves on our position and gloss over our disposition. You know, one of the things we're going to face more and more in our world is this element of pronouns. He is he and she is she, period. Anything less than that is neglecting the heavenly standard that's been given. But you know you can hold to that and be a jerk. Or you can hold to that and show compassion. It's hard to do. I'm going to tell you, it's easy to be a jerk. That's why so many people do it. It's hard to maintain compassion. But church, we do well to check our disposition often. Because I don't just want to live in this world. I want to make a difference in this world. And I'm not going to do it unless both my position and my disposition is what it needs to be. You know, as we round this out tonight, I want to give you this encouraging thought. What happens when someone chooses to live for God in the pagan world? You know what? The world will probably doubt you. And the world will probably mock you. They will ridicule you. Ridicule you. They will exclude you. Daniel and his friends were probably as popular as a skunk at the church picnic. But if you know anything about this book, there are several times when the party is over. And the people in the king's court and the people of Babylon are left empty and broken. One day the king had a dream and no one could tell him what the dream was. And so he was just going to kill all of the wise men. He's just going to kill them all. The king was broken. The court was broken. One day they threw three of these Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace because they would not bow. One day the hand of God appeared and wrote on the wall. One day they threw Daniel in a lion's den. But you know what happened every, every time? Every time the lights got turned out, every time the party was over, every time they were left broken and afraid. Do you know what they did? They turned to Daniel. They turned to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
Because these men chose to live for God in a pagan world. When the lights got turned out, guess what happened? The world knew where to turn. And I want you to see verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1. We see this. And the king continued, communed with them and, and was among them. And among them was all found none like unto Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. In chapter 2, in verse number 47, with the dream, we, and the king answered and said unto Daniel, and said, Of a truth it is that your God is the God of all gods, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing that thou couldst reveal this secret. Later, after the fiery furnace there, chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, and Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. They've changed the king's word and have yielded their bodies that they might not serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. I'm going to tell you, God's still looking for men and women he can use. Men and women whom he can show himself strong through. But that's going to require he have people who are willing to live for him in this pagan world.